Well, good morning. If you will open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. And I just want you to know it's an honor to get to open the word with you today. How, how, how privileged are we that we have a God who's given us the, the grace of life together in his church? Let's, let's pray and ask his blessing before we begin. God, thank you for your love and your mercy. Lord, this morning I pray for transformation. I pray that we are transformed by worship through song, through prayer, and through the opening of your word. God, I pray that your spirit would speak through me. Because if he doesn't, we're not doing anything. Lord, and I pray that your spirit would, would be at work in our hearts so that we can interpret this, because without you, we can do nothing. Lord, we are totally dependent on you. We pray right now that you would bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So <clears throat> we're continuing in our series, The Gospel of Genesis. And if you're new with us, you might be like, what are you talking about, The Gospel of Genesis? Well, the gospel is God's message of, of his good news of deliverance from sin. And in Genesis, God is beginning, he's beginning to unveil how he's going to reverse the curse of sin. He's going to reverse the, the curse of sin. He's going to, to, to save us from death and hell. Do you, do you remember the, the first promise of the gospel, if you've been here with us through this series? The, the first promise of the gospel, the first promise of Jesus in the Bible You'll see it on the screen. It's Genesis 3.15. Let's say it together because I want it to stick in our hearts. And that's this, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That was so good. I want to do it one more time. What's the promise? The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. The this, this, this seed of the woman, the snake crusher is Jesus Christ. He's going to, as Romans 16.20 says, one day crush Satan under his feet. Every story in the Bible is building to that moment in Revelation 21 when God makes all things right, when he totally reverses the curse of sin and he brings down new Jerusalem and we dwell with him forever. Everything else is building to that moment. This morning we're going to be given another lens by which to, to understand each story of the Bible moving forward. The, so if, you, if you're a commentary reader, you'll, the first one, Genesis 3.15, is called the Edemic Covenant. And this one in Genesis 12 is called the Abrahamic Covenant. You don't have to know those things. That's just for your aid as you study. But church, can you remember three things, three words? Come on, everybody, y'all remember your socials. You can remember three words. And there's three parts to this promise of Abraham. And it's land, seed, and blessing. And we'll come to that later, but land, seed, and blessing. And I don't know, I, 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 need, I need help to interpret. I need help to understand um, some of you grew up playing video games like I did. You remember those old uh, books that you got with the cheat codes in them so they'd make the, e the game easier to beat? 
That's when you read the Bible with these, with these uh, covenants in mind, some of these stories that just seem totally random all of a sudden have tons of relevance to what God's doing. So that's what we're doing. We're going to look at land, seed, and blessing this morning. But before we get there, as I was thinking about this, this text and what's going on in Abraham's life, it just, it took me back. Who remembers the quarantine? Oh, nobody wants to think about the quarantine. Man, it messed with my mind. I was quarantined with a toddler for two months, and it was too cold to go outside. And ironically, at the time, her favorite show was Frozen. We watched Frozen so many times that I found myself having in-depth conversations with Jordan about character rationale and finding, finding gaps in the story. But my daughter, she loved Elsa. She, she, like, at the time, Elsa was one of the few words that she could say. She loved Elsa. Everything was Elsa. Just in case you've not been blessed enough to watch Frozen 1 or Frozen 2, um, the show has two princesses. Not just one, but you get two princesses. And um, Disney, they knew what they were doing. But in the second movie, these two sisters, these two princesses, they go into this unknown, enchanted uh, forest trying to find answers to what happened to their parents. And I would hate to spoil it for you, so I'll just leave it there. <laughs> just so you can get that blessing. Um, but two of the songs, I find them very timely for, for, for where we are. One of them is called Into the Unknown. And the other is, don't start singing now, is the next right thing. And I, I feel like that pretty much sums up the story of Abraham. God calls him into an unknown land with unknown people. God is actually very silent in the life of Abraham. There's... There's no Bible. There's no written set of instructions. God just shows up from time to time and gives Abraham instructions and promises. And, and his job is just to do the next right thing to get them where they're, to, to, to get them where he's going. Abraham's job is not to bring the promises of God into reality. That's God's job. Abraham's job was to wait and to trust for God to fulfill his promises and just to do the next right thing until God shows up. Abraham, he at times did not trust God fully. And when he didn't, he walked into major moral failures. We'll see one today. But when God shows up in his life, every time it's a major disruption. It's a life-altering disruption. But God had a plan for Abraham's good and for God's glory. We have to trust God, not in what we can see, or we're going to walk into failure after failure. What is next is unknown to us, but you can trust that it's known by God. And he's working everything out for your good, and his glory. 
But when God shows up, church, he's going to disrupt some things. And I just want to warn you, we're praying for God to show up. So what's true? God fulfills his promises. God fulfills his promises. So what do we do with this? We must be faithful in what we know God wants from us, the things clearly laid out in the Bible, and trust in what is unknown by us. So we need to be faithful in what we know God wants us to do. We need to study his word and the verbs he gives us, the commands he gives us, those are the things we should do. But this, this part of life that's unknown, we need to trust him and follow him in that. So let's look at our text, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, and so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him and Lot with him and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed to Haran and Sarah Abraham took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to the land of Canaan when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land <coughs> to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. All right, first I want you to look at verses 1 through 4. And I'll, I want you to know that God calls us out of darkness. We serve a God who calls us out of darkness. <clears throat> Sorry. Whatever's in bloom is getting me. Maybe, maybe those tulips. <laughs> so here's a quick recap of chapters 1 in cha Genesis chapters 1 through 11. Remember, Israel, um, they're receiving this book during the time of the Exodus after being delivered from slavery in Egypt. Genesis is a book of beginnings. The book is centered around the beginning of creation and the beginning of God's chosen nation. God created Adam and Eve to work in the garden. God, God was walking with them in the cool of the day. The serpent shows up. The serpent deceives them. They, they broke God's commandment. They sinned, and they, they brought sin into the world, and along with sin, they brought death. God cursed Adam and Eve. But even in his curse, God, he gave a, he gave a promise. He gave a grace and he says in Genesis 3.15 that there's coming one who will crush the head of the serpent, who will reverse the curse of the fall. But from Genesis 3 to Genesis 11, things rapidly got worse. Sin infested the world like a disease. 
And at one point, we looked at this last week, the world got so bad that God decided he was going to destroy it with a flood. But he remembered the promise of the snake crusher. So God found Noah and gave him faith to build an ark. Noah looked like he might be this one who God would choose to reverse the curse. He looked like he might be this, this new Adam, right? In this new garden. But Noah had been corrupted by sin too. The sons of Noah were also corrupt. Desiring to overthrow God, they, they wanted to build a tower to heaven. We know this as the Tower of Babel. And God confused their language and sent them all over the earth. And if you follow the timeline given in Genesis, Noah is still alive during the time of Babel. His sons should still be alive. These are their descendants doing this. Maybe they're involved too. This is how much sin corrupts. So now we find Abram. Later, God changes his name to Abraham, which means friend of God. His, his family, they're living in the Persian Gulf. And if you're looking in the, the, the back of your Bible at the maps, it's, it's in the Chaldees, it's in Ur. There's nothing to indicate that Abram was a Yahweh follower. As a matter of fact, this may be shocking, most likely he was an idolater. I think we can assume, or I'm going to assume, that he has the same gods as his father does. And you might be like, wait a second, pastor, you're reaching. Telling me that Abraham's somehow this idolater. Well, look on the screen at, at Joshua 24, 24 2. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, they lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. Our God is a God who calls people out of darkness and out of sin. He didn't, he didn't pick Abraham because Abraham was awesome. God, this is how he works Calling Abram out of darkness fits with the theme of Scripture. Man is not searching for God, but God is searching for man. God does the choosing. That's the theme of the Scripture, that God comes to man. Think about this. Did Noah go, hey, before you destroy the world, please save me? No, God came to Noah. Abraham wasn't standing there going, hey God, it'd be great if you gave me a land and a blessing and a seed and uh, make me a great nation. God came to him. Over and over and over, God goes to man. God goes to man. And here's the deal. It, you should be encouraged by this because you were not saved because you were awesome. You are saved by a God who is awesome. So when you're looking at those who are lost around you, who are walking in all sorts of sinful lifestyles, and you think to yourself, they are too far from God. Was Abraham too far from God? Was Noah too far from God? 
Were Jesus' disciples too far from God? Was Nicodemus too far from God? Was the woman at the well too far from God? God goes to man and calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you can know that person that's walking in that LGBTQ whatever lifestyle, that person who's homosexual, that person who is literally worshiping false gods, maybe they're a Hindu or a Muslim, you can know that our God is a God who calls people out of darkness. He, does not, he doesn't say, oh, that one's religious enough, that one's mine. He saves. This is the model there's nothing about Abraham that would make us think that he's better. But God showed mercy. In Genesis 15, 6 says this. And Genesis 15, 6 is an important verse. It's, it's one of these verses that, that Paul uses in, in Romans and in Galatians to show us that the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament, that his saving work is the same. This is the logic that he uses. Genesis 15, 6, he says, By faith Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He uses his argument when, he, when people are bringing like religiosity to him. Like, you've got you've to be circumcised. You've got to be baptized. You've got you to do all these things to be saved. No. By faith, Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel's sacrifice was accepted. By faith, Noah went into the ark. By faith, God told Abraham to go, and he went. By faith, by faith, by faith. And it walks you all the way to the New Testament. God's saving work is the same in the Old Testament as it is now. And that is grace. God shows us an unmerited, undeserved favor. And it's just so humbling. And not just humbling, but relief to know that God's not going to choose to love me whether or not I'm awesome or how good I keep his law, but because he loves his son and he's chosen to love us. Let's look at uh, verse one. I want you to notice this. When God shows up, God disrupts. When God shows up, God disrupts. We're praying for God to show up we're praying for God to manifest on this body and do something in our community and have a work of the Spirit through us, <laughs> you better be ready for Him to disrupt your life if that's the prayer you're praying. God showed up in Abraham's life and he totally disrupted it. He said, God, God said in verse 1, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. Abraham was 75. It tells us that in verse uh, 4. His life was established. He was a wealthy man. He had extended family in the area. He knew the land. He knew the people. He knew their customs and he knew their gods. Think about Abraham. He was 70. He had built a life. I mean, they weren't living to be 900 much anymore. They're, they're not living to be that old. Like he's, it's like time to like settle down. He, he's retirement. I want you to understand that 
when God moves, he doesn't care how old you are. 18 or 80. When God moves, he doesn't care. And I, I hear the story of people from other states moving here right now. They're like, hey, we just felt like God was moving us to, to China Spring. And we've already seen in, in some of their lives, one of them, uh, they're in the first service, the husband got baptized in his 80s. Praise the Lord. So let's, let's take a second and look at the call and the command that God gave Abraham. And then at the end of this, the, the, the message, we're going to evaluate the promises. So God's command in verse 1 was to go. And by verse 4, we see Abraham going. He accepted the, God, he accepted the call of God and he followed it. But there's, there's three parts to this call. And what's amazing is he failed in two of them. And he kind of did the first one. But in, in Hebrews 11, he is venerated. He's lifted up. He's celebrated as a man of faith. So here are the commands that we got. Go from your country. He did, and I'm going to put an ish on that. We'll look at that in a second. Go from your kindred and your father's house. Well, he brought Lot with him. And then we're also going to see that he, he brought his father and his father's house with him. And then go to the place that I show you. Well, he gets, he gets hung up along the way. Stephen's sermon in Acts 7 shows us that Abraham was in Ur when God spoke to him. It only talks about Haran here in, in chapter 12, but he was actually in the land of Ur of the Chaldees when he was, he was originally called. Um, God says as much in Genesis 15, 7. He says this, uh, speaking to Abraham, and he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldees. Did he say Haran? Ur of the Chaldees. To give this land to possess. The failures here are subtle. But what I love so much about the story of Abraham, just because I, like, guys who really nail it, I don't identify with, but Abraham struggles. <laughs> He says, uh, Abraham, he's, he's not remembered by his failures. Instead, he's remembered by his faithfulness. And the great disruptions of life, when we're called to, to work in faith, everything feels so out of control. We want to control just those few things that we can, right? Abraham, he killed it. He left. He did exactly what he was supposed to do for a minute. And isn't that what we do? We say, God, I trust you. But I think this would be better. <laughs> and that's exactly what Abraham does. We genuinely want to follow. We start good, but we have a hard time trusting to completion. And I'm just going to take a second as the pastor and make a note. Church people have great intentions. Praise the Lord for church people and their intentions. This is, this is across every church I've ever been to and every church any of my friends serve at and every church I've ever heard about. We are great at starting things. We go somewhere, we hear something, we, we see somebody else doing something and we're like, that's awesome, I want to start that. And we go for a little bit, we start it, it's fun, but we don't want to own it. 
The church does not need more good intention people starting things. We need people with follow through and we need finishers. If we would just follow through and finish the things that we know the Lord has already put our hands to, I think things would really change across our country. It's, it's kind of like the tulip situation earlier. Like, she never asked me to put the mulch on the tulips. Mulch burns tulips. Who knew? But I felt like I was doing something good. Wait, follow the call, and pursue hard after that call when you follow through. Abraham, he started good. He did not follow through, but he did leave his country. In Hebrews, looking back at the situation, I want you to notice, though, God's not condemning Abraham for his struggles with trust. God is counting it as righteousness that Abraham trusted and went. But in the reference to these last two commandments, I want you to see how poorly he failed. He did, he did leave Ur, but instead of departing from his family, he took his idolatrous father and his, his nephew Lot. Um, Abraham's father's name was Terah, which means to hinder or to delay. Terah's influence delayed God's blessing and God's promises to Abraham's life. God did not tell anything to Abraham about taking his father with him. God did not say anything to Abraham about settling in the land of Haran. But look at Genesis eleven thirty one. It's confusing because this is a summation of what's going to happen. But this actually happens before, this, this, this is said before we enter into the story of Abraham. Terah took Abraham, Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his, his daughter-in-law, and his son's wife, uh, Abraham's wife, and they went forth from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205. Terah died in the land of Haran. This shows us that Terah led Abram to settle in the land of Haran. Who did God say would show Abraham where to settle? Terah or God? God said he would lead Abraham, not his idolatrous father. Abraham's blessing was slowed. It was hindered by years from receiving God's blessings because he allowed his father, he allowed his family to restructure and redefine the call that God put on his life. Think to yourself right now, who are some Tarahs in your life who, who want to redefine God's desire for you. Want to redefine God's call that he's put on your life. And they are hindering you from your spiritual development. They are hindering you from walking in faithfulness. Because church, this is true. Delayed obedience or partial obedience is still disobedience. It's sin. For some of you, you need to inventory your life I told you, Torah means to hinder. Have you been hindered 
by God's call on your life? Because you're allowing someone else to redefine it? Have you been hindered? Because you're allowing an addiction to reign, some sin to reign in your life? Maybe your blessings are being hindered because you're allowing some toxic person to control or dictate and drag you back into sin. And what's ironic is a lot of times they're family members who should be supporting you. What's hindering the blessings of the Lord? Abraham, he settles in Haran with Terah. Terah passed away. We see God show up. He's disrupting Abraham's life again. This time, instead of with sweet promises, God disrupts with pain. It's clear to me that he loved his father or he wouldn't have followed him. God ripped away the idol. He ripped away the father and he chose, plan, he chose pain so that God's plan for Abraham would move on because God had a plan for Abraham's good and God's glory. Abram and his wife and his nephew, they finally continue. And look, he was told not to take the family. Just take Sarah. All the way up until Lot disappears out of the Bible, he's like an anchor, a weight around the neck of Abram. Situation after situation, he's hindering Abram because he didn't totally, he never totally listened to separating till towards the end of his life. So he, he finally follows, and Abraham's response to God, though it was partial and slow throughout most of his life, and Abraham, he clearly, he clearly struggles giving everything to God, but God did not define Abraham by his struggles. God defined Abraham by his faithfulness. What areas of life are you struggling just with partial trust? Has God put on your heart to, to do participate in a, in a new ministry or begin ministering to a new person, but you're allowing the circumstances of your life to redefine that because you, for some reason, don't have time? Is God calling you to pray for an unbeliever in your life, but you just can't find time to do it? Is God calling you to lead your children in Bible study or daily devotion, but you just don't really know where to start. You're too busy with sports and other things. I want you to understand, God, everyone who's a parent in this room, the primary place of discipleship for your children is your home, not the church. Let me say that again. The primary place for discipleship for every child that's in this place is not this place. It should be the home. Is God calling you to start praying with your wife, but you're redefining the call just to pray for her because you think it'd be super awkward to pray with her? Like, I mean, you've already made it this long. Is God calling you to be faithful with your tithes or your offering, but it just doesn't make sense right now. You've got so much debt. The cost of living is going up so high. Redefining that call. Is God calling you to do something radical, like finally using your position at work or in your family as a platform for ministry? 
But when you start, you just don't really want to offend anybody. Don't say yes in your heart now and redefine it on Monday. Everyone wants to talk about revival in the church. Everybody wants revival, revival, revival. I want revival. What if we are quenching the spirit because we are constantly redefining his call on our lives, rationalizing away the stamp of God from the people of God? We need to stop rationalizing away the call of God on our lives. And if it seems crazy, it's okay. But even still, God is gracious. We see Abraham struggled with the same things we do. God blessed him and loved him anyway. Even though part of the, the blessing and the love and the care that he gave Abraham, for there's years of silence. And also, God brought pain. The word Haran means parched. God does not speak to Abram the entire time that he's in Haran. He's silent. That place is full of pain. There his father died. But then Abraham began to move. We see God speak again in verse 7 only after he left Haran and, and left the, 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 the Chaldees. And God appeared again to Abraham when he entered into the land of Canaan. And which is where God told him that he should be in the first place. Not totally walking in the commands of God will leave your soul parched. It'll leave your soul thirsty. And a lot of us, we are in a parched place because we're not spending time with God. Maybe for you, it's you just stay up too late. You're watching too much TV. You're, you're just scrolling on your phone and, oh, it it was nine o'clock. Now it's 1130. And, you know, I got to start my day tomorrow at five and the kids are up and, and life just happens. And you can't remember the last time you had any sort of consistency in worship. Because this is, again, this isn't the primary place we're to worship. <laughs> we're to worship daily. Your soul's parched. You're tired. It feels like God's silent. You know why? Because he speaks in his word and you're not in it. If you would establish daily rhythms, go to bed early. It's okay if you miss out on whatever show you're binging. You got Saturday. I'm, I'm not an anti-TV person. Everything in moderation. But you need rhythms. You need rhythms. Create rhythms of daily worship. That means going to bed earlier, and it means waking up earlier. So you're rested for worship. Abraham finally chooses full obedience. Verse 5. And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the mount of Morah, uh, to the oak of um, Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to, uh, to your offspring, I will give this land. So there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Finally, he steps out in complete faith. He leaves Haran. He shows up in Canaan and, and God gives him a promise. 
But imagine the, the wind coming out of his cells when he gets there. You know, it's the land flowing with milk and honey. And it's full of Canaanites. Verse 6 tells us it's full of Canaanites. Following God's plan, stepping out in faith, does not mean that God will work in your timeline. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be any roadblocks. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be any disruptions or disappointments along the way. So many people think if, if there's any kind of conflict, it therefore must not be God's will. That is opposite to all the truth we find in the Bible just about. I can't think of one contrary, but I'm just saying there's probably one. People who walk in the will of God in the Bible often walk through conflict. They didn't get the land until they went through the battles. They face war. They face rejection. They face fire. Jesus faced the cross. Every one of his disciples were executed except for John, who was cast away to the Isle of Patmos. Following God, following in faith, often comes with conflict. So many of us, when we come into the, the land where we feel like we're walking in faith, and then we get there and it's like, look how great the Canaanites are. We just throw our hands up. Fear and opposition should drive you to worship. In verse 7, what do we see Abraham doing? He worships. And then God gives him the assurance that to your offspring I will give a land. This land. To live the life that God has called you to live. As long as you're looking at the situation, you won't find any assurance. All you're going to find is doubt. But when you seek God in worship, you will find that assurance that you're looking for. You'll find a God who knows about you, a God who cares about your situation, a God who's in control, in, in control, even though you're suffering and it hurts. That's what you're going to find. Seek God in personal worship. Going back to the original command for Abraham to go, notice that God's commands rarely come with reasons. God, God's, God's commands rarely come with reasons, but they're often always accompanied by promises. In Abraham's case, God did not tell Abraham why he was to go. He didn't tell him that, hey, that promise I made to Adam and Eve, I'm going to bring it to fruition through your lineage. He doesn't tell him all that. He doesn't tell him that the snake crusher who's going to reverse the curse of sin, the, the snake crusher that's going to deliver all people who believe from hell is coming through you. He just says, go to the land that I'm going to show you. I'll give it to you. So finally, I want you to look at verses 2 through 3. God's covenant with Abraham. And this is where we're going to look at land, seed, and blessing. And we're going to, this will be a theme throughout the rest of the book. It says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first part of the promise is a promise of land. He's going to give this land to Abraham's family. Now, it's going to be a while. They've got to go through slavery. 
Here in a few chapters, he's going to say, you're going to be in slavery for 430 years, but then I'll give you the land. God's not working on our timeline. But here's the deal. Everything in the rest of Genesis, the book of Genesis through the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, through, through, all the way through the book of Joshua, is God actively bringing these, this promise to pass as well as the other two promises we're going to see. Like, don't get, don't get confused with Levitical laws or don't get confused with, with uh, really cool things that are happening in Egypt with plagues. Like, it's cool stuff. It's great. But God is bringing these promises into fruition. That's what these first five chapters are doing or the first five books are doing. And then the rest of the Bible, what we see is God, how, how he's maintaining this promise. That's what we're seeing. That's the rest of the Old Testament, how he's maintaining this promise. And he makes this new covenant. And that's what the rest of the Bible's about. And God has not forgotten the promises of land, seed, and blessing. Every story has to do with land, seed, and blessing. So let's look at seed. I know that's a weird way to say that. But it's keeping on the theme of, I want you to be able to, in your mind, connect the promise of Abraham to the promise of Adam that through the seed of the woman is going to come the snake crusher because we need, we need to make that mental connection. So he says, I will make you a great nation, meaning God is going to give Abraham's, this, this great offspring. Abraham was already 75 and he won't see a son until he's 100. And we see his faith faltering over and over and over. But finally God gives him an heir. But by the time Israel, the, the nation Israel, the sons of Abraham are hearing this on the side of Sinai, some calculations are in the low millions, other calculations are in the high millions. I'm going with three million. But either way, they are standing there looking at God's promise coming to fruition as they're on the march to see the land of Canaan become theirs. Blessing. God says, I will bless those who bless you and curse. I, if I say curse those who curse you. The text says, uh, those who dishonor you, I will, I will uh, curse, but it's easier for me to remember that way. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. God cursed every nation in the Bible who stood against Israel. And when a people or a nation would do good to Israel, you would find them flourish. Look at Look at Egypt. Egypt was the greatest superpower in the world. God used them for his purpose, but at the same time, they were a curse to Israel, and they never came to that same power ever again. Oh, you see them pop back up for a little bit. They double-cross Israel. And then they never have any prominence in world history again. Uh, let's think about some, some other guys. What about the Canaanites? What about the Philistines? Great nations dissolved, done away with, disappeared. The Moabites, out of there. God sends Syria in because of their disobedience. What's God do to them? He uses them as a tool, but then destroys them, and they're never the same. Babylon, God uses them to punish Israel for Israel's sin. Babylon, in a day, is overthrown. The nation, uh, the, the Persians, same. 
The, all the things that happen in the intertestamental between the New Testament and the Old Testament, all those nations that come and curse God, guess what happens? Same. Rome, the greatest superpower the world had ever seen. As soon as they uh, destroyed the temple in 70 AD, what happens to them? They're on the decline never to rise again. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. We still today, Germany has never been the same since World War II. Spain, before that, I don't know if you know this, there was a, a persecution against the Jews. Never the same. God even today is fulfilling these promises. God has not forgotten the things he said in the Old Testament. The, I told you what is true, God fulfills his promises. Also through Abraham's seed, somehow all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the seed of the woman. That's the snake crusher, Jesus Christ. He will bless all the nations by purchasing salvation with his divine blood. God became man. But Jesus, when we look, Jesus is the fulfillment, the future fulfillment of all these promises. Just real quick. Land. God promises the people land. He promises them Canaan. But in Christ, we have a promise of a future land, heaven. But Revelation 21. Revelation 21 is the climax of the Bible, not the cross, by the way. Revelation 21, God is bringing down this new heaven and this new earth, and we will dwell in a new Jerusalem. Do you know where Jerusalem is located? Canaan. God is bringing to us a new Canaan. He's fulfilling his promise. Seed. Galatians 3, 7 says this. Know then that it is those of faith who, who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, like this is the first gospel. This is the first gospel to the Gentiles. In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then all those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We, we, because of faith, we are grafted in. We get all the blessings of Abraham. In Jesus, by faith, we are sons and we are heirs to the promises. And then finally, blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. All those who bless the name of Jesus will be saved. All those who believe in Jesus... They will have all the love of the Father lavished on them. They will be heirs. They will be sons and daughters of the King. But all who curse the name of Jesus, all who reject the name of Jesus, will be rejected by the Son on the great white throne of judgment, and they will face an eternity in hell. And I'm here to tell you today, if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, He will save you by the power of His blood, through His resurrection. Genesis 15, 6 says this, By faith, Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. If you believe in Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus will be given to you, and you'll be able to stand before the Father and live with him forever in heaven. If you will, bow your heads with me.